So this week we're going to start a new series called Thanks Living. I remember a, um, one particular trip that I took to my grandparents' house when I was about eight years old. And uh, typically my grandmother would cook these massive meals for everyone. And it was, it was like the greatest hits of all the foods that my dad liked, you know. Do you guys, anybody have a grandmother like that? Like that's just what, and you guys know my grandma. So, um, uh, so she cooked these massive meals. And, but one time I think she was like working or something was going on. And I was like eight years old. And I was old enough to, uh, old enough to probably know better. And I, I'm old enough to still remember me doing this now. But uh, my grandmother's working, and so my grandfather decided that he was going to go to McDonald's, and he was going to get everybody McDonald's, right? So he goes to McDonald's, and me, as an seven, eight-year-old, however old I was, uh, I was like, well, get a Happy Meal. Like, I want a Happy Meal, right? And he comes back, he goes to McDonald's, treats everybody to McDonald's, gets food for everybody, comes back with a bag full of hamburgers, and he comes back with a bag full of fries, but there wasn't a Happy Meal. And I remember to this day, like, being, like, such a whiny jerk about not getting a Happy Meal. And again, old enough to know better, old enough to remember it to this day, probably 30-some-odd years later. And and I just remember that I whined and complained, and I was generally, like, the worst, right? I was just the worst, all because I didn't get a Happy Meal. And to this day, I wish that I would have just been happy with a hamburger, if you're like me, uh, maybe you've got a Happy Meal story of your own. Maybe you didn't get that toy that you wanted for Christmas, you know, growing up. Maybe uh, your parents didn't buy you the new car like your best friend did, like down the street, uh, like, like their parents did. Maybe your high school sweetheart chose someone else. Anybody have that happen to them? Maybe you got passed over for a promotion. Maybe that happened to you again. Whatever happens, like sometimes like we just go through life, we go through things and, and, and like, it's just like, it's just not, we just don't get what we think we should get. Over the next two weeks, we're going to do this short series called Thanksgiving, and we're going to look at what it takes to leave all the anxiety and the hustle and bustle behind and truly seek after biblical contentment. And as we go into this Thanksgiving week uh, uh, coming up, my hope is that Thanksgiving for you is so much more than just another day. It's so much more than just a stressful holiday where you got to prepare all the food or you get in the, the turkey coma or you watch the Cowboys lose, you know, whatever Thanksgiving is, you know, like, like, like Thanksgiving just needs to be a better day for you. Don't the Cowboys always play on Thanksgiving? Isn't that? Yeah, they do. Okay. Yeah. I'm just. Make sure I wasn't pulling that out of somewhere else. So, like, it just needs to be another day. My prayer is that you truly see all of God's blessing in your life. And may we have an attitude of gratitude. And just like, I'm sure if if you're anything like me, um, you're going to gain a little weight on Thanksgiving. Some of us, we have unrealized expectations that have been sticking to us the same way. And we, we, we string enough of those things together and some of us begin to shut down. Irish poet William Yeats said this, he says, too long a sacrifice will make a stone of a heart. When will it suffice? When will it be enough be enough for us? When will we and how will we become content? And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at what it takes for us to be content. 
And I'm not saying like you should be okay with, um, you know, you should, you should never like aspire to be anything or you should never always aspire to press on to things. We're going to talk about all those things. You never, should never have goals and hopes and things like that. But contentment is different. Contentment is like not being able to have joy when those expectations aren't fulfilled. Not being able to have joy when my grandfather comes home with a burger instead of a Happy Meal. Food's food, right? Like I should be grateful for it. But some of us, we just have like all these expectations that aren't realized they get stifled and then we just live an anxiety-filled life and that's what we're going to talk about today for us to be truly happy to be filled with joy to live without anxiety to be fully present to be thankful and aware of all the blessings that God has given us we I believe that we need to disconnect our contentment from three things and that's what we're going to talk about today three things that we need to disconnect our contentment from. And the first thing is this, we need to disconnect our contentment from consumption. We need to disconnect our contentment from consumption. Fold it into our culture, our Western culture, our concepts of happiness, the American dream, all these things. We get the idea that our contentment will be filled through consumption. If I get the next car, the next house, the next, the next thing, whatever the next thing is, if I can attain that, then I'm finally going to be happy. I'm finally going to be content with where I am in life. But there's an Israeli historian, his name is Yuval Harari, and he, he disagrees with this. And here's what he says. Luxuries tend to become necessities that spawn new obligations. So if I had a luxury, that's going to become a necessity for me, and then that's going to spawn an obligation for me. Once people get used to a certain luxury, they take it for granted. They begin to count on it, and finally they reach a point where they can't live without it. How many of you guys grew up and you did not have a cell phone? Yeah. How many of you guys can imagine life right now Imagine life right now, and then I'm not saying you don't have one, but just entire population does not have a cell phone. The whole thing went away. How many of you guys can imagine life right now without a cell phone? It's hard to imagine that, right? It's hard to, to grasp that. It's hard to understand, like, because you go to a restaurant, no one talks to each other anymore. They're staring down at their phones, right? Like the family vacation, everybody's staring down at their phones. That's what happens. Like, so what happens is, is at once there was this luxury, I remember growing up, my dad had like the, the car phone. It was like literally like drilled into the floor of the car, you know, like, and I think you still have the same number, right? Yeah, he still has the same number from when the thing was drilled into his uh, commitment, man. Um, so, um, so like that, so we had that. And so uh, back then it was a huge luxury. Only like business people had it. You had the bag phones, you had all these things. So these massive luxuries. And now it's just something that we all have to have, it feels like. You know, my kids, if you're like, well, I have to have a phone. My 21-year-old probably could not live without her phone. Luxuries become necessities. He says this, he says, over the past, uh, the last few decades, we've invented countless time-saving machines that were supposed to make life more relaxed. Washing machines, vacuum cleaners, dishwashers, telephones, mobile phones, computers, email, things that were supposed to make life easier. We thought that we were saving time. Instead, we revved up the treadmill of life 10 times its former speed and made our days more anxious and agitated. When we think that our contentment is going to come through our consumption, we 
automatically like kind of lose the idea of, of what it actually causes us to be content. As the pace of life speeds up, we're all looking for the next thing. That's what our culture does now. We look for the next job, the next vacation, the next house. Some people, the next spouse. We just look for the next thing because uh, what happens is, is that that contentment that we think is going to happen by us consuming, that bucket is never going to be deep enough. It's never going to be uh, enough for us. We're just going to always want more and want more. And when we finally get something, it's going to become a necessity to us where once it was a luxury, it's going to become a necessity. And now we got to do whatever we can do to keep it. And then we're going to go look for the next thing. Consumption can never bring us contentment. So whatever it is that you have right now, if you would fill in the blank with me, if you would say, you know, if I could only get this, whatever that thing is, if I could only get that new job, if I could only get that new house, if I could only get that new car, if I could only get that, whatever it is for you, then I would be happy. You need to disconnect your contentment from consumption. It's never going to get you there. So the first thing we need to disconnect from our contentment is number one, consumption. Number two, the second thing we need to disconnect from our contentment is circumstances. Circumstances. You're noticing a pattern here. This pattern was not intentional, but everything's starting with a C. So if you're taking notes, we're going to make this easy for you. We need to disconnect our contentment from circumstances. First Thessalonians five sixteen says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, let's read through verse 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Biblical contentment is not circumstantial. Biblical contentment is not circumstantial. Everything does not have to perfectly line up your way for you to be content. There are, there are uh, people who are very physically healthy that are not content with their bodies. They look in the mirror and they don't like what they see. There are people who have cancer who are very content with how life is because they've done the work. There are people who are very wealthy who are not content. There are people in poverty who are content. Therefore, contentment is not a state of your circumstances rather contentment is a state of your heart so we have to disconnect our contentment from our circumstances philippians 4 verse 11 through 13 paul says this not that i'm speaking of being in need for whatever i have learned in whatever situation i am to be Content. Whatever I've learned in whatever situation, I need to be content. I know how to be bought low, and I know how to abound. I've, I've done all these things, he says. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Some of you guys like have seen like, I can hit this three-point shot through him who strengthens me, right? No, what he's saying is, is that whatever I'm facing in life, whether it's the, the biggest abundance, whether I've got more money than I know what to do with, where I got this brand new house, brand new car, and my life is set, or I don't know how this bill is going to get paid. I don't know how I'm going to be able to go back to school. I don't know how we're going to be able to afford uh, this, this braces for my 
kid or, or whatever is happening, whatever we're, we're facing, whatever circumstance we're in, Paul says, I've learned how to be content and because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He brings it back to Jesus. It's not about our circumstances. It's not about our consumption. It's not about our circumstances. Paul says, I've got this little secret. It doesn't matter if you're in plenty or if you're hungry. It doesn't matter if you're in abundance or if you're in need. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you can be content because Christ strengthens you. For Paul, life was not about what he could get or what he was going through. He found his contentment by simplifying his life down to one thing. Paul found his contentment by simplifying his life down to one thing, more accurately, probably one person. If you read Philippians 3, verse 7, he says this, But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but what it, which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and that may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says that I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. This shows that Paul saw suffering. Paul saw when circumstances went sideways, when everything went bad, when you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. Maybe it's sickness in your body. Maybe it's something that you can't afford. Maybe it's a relationship that went sour. Whatever you go through, whatever suffering happens in your life, that for Paul was an opportunity for him to be unified with Jesus. Jesus went through suffering. I'm going through suffering. Therefore, I'm unified with Christ in my suffering. You see how that works? And so he's like, I want to be like Jesus so much. And if I know that Jesus went through this, then I can go through this too. When we're going through trouble, when Paul was going through trouble, he found him contentment in the fact that Jesus went through trouble. And in the same way, he now has a different level of unity with Jesus. He didn't resent when circumstances didn't go his way. And this is hard, man. I mean, like I, yesterday... <laughs> This happened to me yesterday. So I was working in the yard yesterday. Um, that never happens. But I was working in the yard yesterday, right? And, um, and so I, I went on Facebook, and I, I, uh, there's a Queen Creek group, and I posted in the Queen Creek group, and I'm like, aside from like the bulk trash day, like where do I take like yard clippings? I don't know where to take them. I don't ever work in my yard. I don't know. And they were like, oh, there's like this place over in AJ for you to drop your yard clippings. I was like, oh, cool. So I Google it. They're like, it's open till 4 and I was like, oh, great. So I drop what I'm doing, jump in the truck, take all my yard clippings all the way up to AJ. The whole time I like, got people tailgating me and I'm thinking like I'm about to spray you with like a bunch of like leaves or whatever. But I'm doing this and I get up there, 30 minutes away, I get up there and the gate's closed. The gate's locked. And man, I like was like, what in the world? Like I just wanted to like turn the table over. And like I was so frustrated and angry. Apparently like their Google review was wrong right? It was wrong. And instead of closing at four, it closed at one. And I was just so 
upset. I was so angry. And, and, and that's, that's something that's hard for us to do. And that's something similar. Like, Jeff, you, you still have yard clippings in the back of your truck. What's the big deal? I was just upset about it. That's, it, it just took one little thing to get me sideways. How many of you guys have gone through this where maybe you're just uh, got one little thing and it gets you sideways and you're just like, why am I upset about this? This is not worth the level of anger, the level of anxiety, the level of frustration, the level of whatever it is that I'm dealing with. This is not worth this. Why am I so, am I tying my contentment, my happiness, my joy, my value of, of myself as a person? Why am I tying this to the circumstances that I'm in right now? Because the circumstances are just petty. I have yard clippings in the back of my truck. I still do. You can actually go out there and look at them. Like, they're still there, right? But, but for us, you know, it's just like we tie our contentment to our circumstances. And then what happens is, is now, instead of Christ controlling our attitudes, instead of Jesus controlling our attitudes, instead of the Spirit controlling our attitudes, what happens is, is now whatever the circumstances is, is what controls our attitudes. Places closed at four, or places closed at one instead of four. Now my attitude's sideways. Do you see how that works? And so we have to do a better job of disconnecting our contentment from our circumstance. Uh, Paul didn't resent when circumstances didn't go his way. For his sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I don't think that we talk about resurrection enough in the church. I don't think we can do it. I don't think it's possible. I think we could, we could literally talk about it every week and we could talk about it in small groups and we could talk about it in, in everything because resurrection is like the most important thing that happened in the Christian church. Sin did not get the last word. Death did not get the last word. And so Paul's saying that when I'm going through suffering, when I'm connecting to Christ in this way, I know him in his power of his resurrection. We can connect to Christ's resurrection when we go through times of suffering, when our circumstances go sideways. And I'm not talking about the fact that you're, you've got leaves in the back of your truck. Some of you guys, that's super petty. Some of you guys actually have been through really, really hard times in really, really difficult times. And, it's, and, and for, for saying that, hey, you don't need to disconnect your circumstances from, from your, your uh, contentment when you need to do that. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, good luck with that. You don't know what I've been through. This has been hard. But Paul says, I can connect to Christ in the power of his resurrection through my suffering. Sin doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. There's a really popular worship song that came out a few years ago and it says the cross says the final word and i remember the first time that liz and i heard it we were in i think we were in a church right and i was like the cross is the final word no it doesn't it doesn't have the final word like 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 jesus died on the cross he was buried for three days but thanks to god the cross did not get the final word in the end of three days he rose the resurrection is the final word for a believer the resurrection is the final word. So whatever suffering you're going through, whatever tragedy you go through, whatever thing that you face, it's not death that gets the final word. It's life that gets the final word. It's life. And so there's another day on the other side of that. There's resurrection that comes after that. And when we go through suffering, when our circumstances go bad, when things happen to us, we partner with Jesus because we know that there is life after death. There's life after death. I know I just ruined a song for you guys. I'm sorry. 
No, I'm not. But um, the resurrection does not get the final word. So when you and I are facing hardship, we can still be thankful because resurrection gets the final word. First Corinthians 15, Paul says this. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the, the tr- trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. The dead, those who have died, will be raised, not able, not dead anymore. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When perishable puts on imperishable, when immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death does not have victory. Death does not have victory. We can disconnect our contentment from our circumstances because the last thing, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you die, right? That's the worst. Like, go to the very end of the thing. What's the worst that could happen is that we die. My wife, whenever she drives our kids in the car and they complain about her driving, she always says, but did you die? They, they say no, right? Like, that's what she says, right? The worst thing that could happen is death, but does death get the final word? No. Death does not get the final word. Therefore, when our circumstances go sideways, when our relationships go sideways, when our, 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 we don't get what we need and it's not coming through and things don't happen the way that we think that they should happen, we can still be content because we connect our contentment to Christ. We, connect, we disconnect our contentment from consumption. We disconnect our contentment from circumstances. And lastly, we disconnect our contentment from control. We disconnect our contentment from control. Do we have any control freaks in the room? Any control freaks in the room? I'm, I'm one. I'm one, yeah. Liz, yeah. yeah. Here's how I think, or here's how control freaks think. I'll, I'll say me, but you, go, you, all, you all can try it with me if you want. If I can control everything around me, then I can control the outcome. And if I can control the outcome, then I can control my happiness. That's like the, how the mindset of a control freak works. That's how the mindset works. And so if, if I can control everything around me, I can control the behavior of everything around me. I can control how everyone is acting. I can control even some control freaks like to control how other people around them are feeling. If I can control everything around me and I can control how everything's happening, then I can control the outcome. I can make sure that we have Thanksgiving dinner go out without a hitch and everyone's happy and no one gets weird and political and all this stuff is just smooth, right? It's just smooth. Like, I'm going to control it, right? And then if I do that, then I can control my happiness. Control freaks. Am I, am I right? Is this how it is, right? Like, I, I, I can control the outcome. I can control my happiness. But I've got one question for the control freaks in the room. How's that working for you? 
How's that working for you? It's not. It's not. You can't, you can't control the outcome. You can't control. There's things that happen without your control. If you have people, other people in your house that have their own opinions, that have their own uh, way of thinking, their own way of looking at the world, they're not going to always see things the same way as you. The same reason why I don't like riding horses. The thing is bigger than me and it has a mind of its own, right? Like, I don't like doing that. I just don't like, I, I, I would rather stay away, right? And so some of you guys, we, we want to control. We want to control how things are happening. We want to control how people act. We want to control because we think we can control the outcome. And I'm just telling you, you can't. You can't do that. And so if your contentment, your happiness, your joy is tied to your ability to control a situation, you will never be happy because in reality, you're not in control. You're not in control. When I was teaching my oldest daughter how to drive, um, I did a lot of backseat driving. Anybody ever had to do that, teach a teenager how to drive? Um, and I had to, f- I was, because what, what you're doing when you're backseat driving is you're trying to force control on a situation that you are completely out of control in, right? I have no control over this vehicle. I have no control over what's happening. I have no control over where she's going or where she, she is in complete control of the car the entire time. But me being the backseat driver, like I'm trying to enforce control in a situation that I have no control over. Backseat driving comes from a lack of trust. I did not trust that 15-year-old at the time, even though it was on the back roads of Alabama when I was teaching her how to drive. I did not trust her to always do things the right way. I didn't do that. I didn't trust her. And, and in the case of a teenage driver, I think that's fair, right? I don't know how many of you guys have ever written with a teenager. Yeah, it gets a little sketchy at times, right? But, but for some of us, we are still, some of us in, in, in life, we're still sitting in our own driver's seat. I mean, we haven't, even, we haven't even gotten to the whole Jesus take the will thing yet. We're still sitting in the driver's seat holding on. But some of us, we have done the carry under what Jesus take the will thing, but we're still in the side seat wanting to backseat drive, telling God, hey, I think this needs, to, this, I need, this needs to be happening. And our prayer life reflects that. Our prayer life reflects that. And so we're always trying to control things, even in our prayer life, even in the things around us. Any control freaks? Does this track with you guys? Or this just me? Does this just happen to me? I'm talking a lot about myself today, and you guys are learning everything. It's okay. I got upset about a hamburger, and I'm a control freak, and I got upset that my waste place wasn't open. Anyway. If I'm backseat driving, I don't trust the skill and decisions of the person who holds my life in their hands at that moment. If I'm backseat driving, I don't trust the skill and decisions of the person who holds my life in their hands at that moment. So many of us backseat drive on the journey of life when God is in control. You can trust his skill. You can trust his decisions. You can trust that even when it didn't go the way that you thought it should go, even when that promotion didn't come when you thought it should come, even when uh, this situation turned sideways, even when you didn't get whatever you thought should happen, even when the, the, the people in your family don't act the way that they do, you can trust that God is the one that's in control and he is the one who's going to bring about the plan that he has for your life. God has a plan for your life. He knows where your destination is. He's got your best 
interests at heart. And because of that, you can disconnect your contentment from control. You can disconnect your contentment from control. Instead of praying the passive aggressive prayers to get him to try to bless our plans, we should really just be submitting to his control. God, whatever you want to do with this situation, let me just be a vessel. Let me be, let me, we talked about last, last week in the last series. Let me, let me just bring your Holy Spirit into the situation. Let me just be directed by you. God, I'm going to give up control of this. I'm going to give up the idea that I can, I can control everyone's emotions and attitudes and all that. I'm just going to give that up and I'm just going to submit to you and I'm going to say, God, let me bring your spirit into the situation. God, you are in control. Think about the way you pray and how you pray. Are you asking God to reveal his will for you? Or are you asking God to bless your will? Are you asking God to reveal his will for you? Or are you asking God to bless your will? Listen, I will take God's skill, God's decision-making, God's knowledge of the path of my life anytime over mine. Anytime over mine. God knows where he's going. God knows what's happening. God knows the direction. God, God has a, a plan and he has a way to work it out. Even when things, even when people do their own thing, God can still work it out. If you look at the story of Joseph, Joseph was uh, thrown into a pit by his brothers. And even though he had a dream, he had a dream that God said, you're going to be, you're going to be in control one day. You're going to be a leader one day. You're going to deliver your people one day. You're going to do all these amazing things one day. His brothers didn't like that, sold him into slavery. He had to live in slavery. Then he, was, uh, he worked his way back up, and he was a, an assistant to like the second guy in command in the whole country, basically like the speaker of the house, I guess would be our equivalent here. And so he was assistant to the guy. Then the guy's wife accused him of adultery, accused him of that. It wasn't he didn't do it. Then he was sent to jail again. Right. And then in jail, he he uh, he interpreted a dream for uh, like a cook and like a, a butler. One of the guys totally forgot about him and like just t- totally dissed him. And then finally, the leader of the country, the king, finally sees that this uh, has a dream. And he's like, I need I have this dream. I need to get it repeated. And then finally, the guy remembers there's someone that knows how to interpret dreams. And he's sitting in the jail. And for some of us, we think that life, if it didn't go perfect the first time, for some of us, we would have given up on God's, God's dream in the pit. For some of us, we would have given up on God's dream uh, when, when, we, when uh, we, we, we got arrested for, for, for something we didn't do. For some of us, we would have given up on God's dream when, 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 we did, when someone forgot about us or when someone talk, turned their back on us. But Joseph, he stayed true to what God's plan was for his life. And so I want to teach you today, I've, uh, for those of you guys who have been around for a while, you've heard me say this before, but for those of you guys who are new, you, I want to teach you this today. I want to teach you an eight-word prayer for the control freaks in the room, right? It's just an eight-word prayer, and it simply says this, I don't understand it, but I trust you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it when this happens, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it when my kid acts like this, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it why I can't get that promotion, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it why people are turning their back on me, but I trust you. God, I don't understand it when all these things happen, but I 
I trust you. I'm going to give God control of the wheel, and I'm just going to say, God, I just want to be a part of what you're doing. So we disconnect our contentment from consumption, number one. We disconnect our contentment from circumstances, number two. Thirdly, we disconnect our contentment from control. What do we connect our contentment to then? We connect our contentment to Christ. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or, am I, or, am I, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying that I've been through situations, the highest, highest of the high, the lowest of the lows. I've been through in situations where I was in prison. I've been through situations where I was blessed. I've been through all these things. And, and for some of us, we, we've tied our commitment to consumption. We've said, if I could only get that, then, then that, I would be fine. Some of us have tied our contentment to circumstances. If all, if all this would act right, if everything would go my way, then we'd be fine. Some of us can tie it to control. If everyone that I have a relationship with would do what I say, then it'll be fine. Paul didn't do any of that. Paul said, you know what? I'm just going to tie my contentment to Jesus. If things go good, he's blessed me. If things go bad, hey, things went bad for him, so I'm like him. It's all about Jesus. And for us today, as we're going into this holiday season, we're going into, you know, gift giving and, and all the things that we have to do and Thanksgiving and all the family coming around. And it just, for some of us, we we're excited about it. For some of us, this is like a scary time. Like it's like just a time that we don't look forward to. But we can connect our contentment to Christ. And when we do that, when we're led by his spirit, we can bring the life of the spirit into whatever situation that we're in. It's not about disappointment anymore. I don't because I, I don't have those expectations. I don't, my, my expectation is not control. My expectation is not consumption. My expectation is not circumstance. My expectation is that God is going to be there with me. No matter.